Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong with Kimberly Searle and Tanya Drew. As integrative sustainable movement educators and health advocates, our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. Our mission is to collaboratively navigate the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Welcome to Where the Lotus Grows, Getting Dirty and Growing Strong. I'm Tanya Drew. And I'm Kimberly Searle. We're integrative, sustainable movement educators and health advocates. Our goal is to provide you with evidence-based information gathered from research, experts in the field, and our personal and professional experience to help you advocate for your own health and wellness. This is our very first episode. It's so exciting. It's very exciting. So we're going to start today just by introducing ourselves and kind of giving you, the audience, a little bit of backstory um, about who we are and why we decided to start this podcast. I personally have always been interested in self-improvement, psychology, um, human studies since like junior high. I wanted to be a psychologist, but uh, chose to pursue some independence first. So I got into retail management right out of high school. I was making some pretty good money, so I didn't get back to school until my 30s and did a psychology undergrad. And as I was pursuing a master's degree program, then I found a yoga therapy program at the uh, Maryland University of Integrative Health, which is where I met you, Kim. I know. That was a funny story. <laughs> I feel like we have to say tell yeah, that story. Yeah, no, we have to share. I like to tell people, uh, Kimberly and I slept together the first night. We did, <laughs> without any wine or anything. So we realized that we were both coming from Michigan, and we both had to stay in a hotel, and it just seemed super logical that mm-hmm. we bunk up together and kind of cut costs. Yeah, and yeah. Then, so upon meeting each other, what, a couple hours, we're sharing a hotel, and it's been a friendship ever since. Yeah, it really has. Additionally, um, we ended up gathering a couple other roommates and shared rooms for the rest of the two years that we went to school. So how about you, Kim? Where do you kind of come from as far as how we've, we've shared that story? Where do you come from <laughs> as far as how you got to MUIH? Well, and then we can kind of yeah. go from there. Well, um, you know, I've had an interest in holistic healing um, my entire life. I grew up on a sheep farm, and I learned at a very young age how to appreciate nature and the life cycle of um, nature. And, you know, I just remember the sheep, as they would travel from one area of the farm to the other, they would walk in a single file line. And now as an adult, and I look back and, and I think, oh, they, you know, that was my labyrinth that I would walk because they would wear a little path um, in the pasture. And so as being a sensitive child, I could feel quite a bit, even feel what people were feeling and animals were feeling And um, so I would spend a lot of time out there learning from them, always moving and exploring my body in space. That's wonderful. I didn't come into the body part until much later. It was very 
kind of cerebral for me. I thought everything was up in your head and I wanted to know where it worked. Probably because I was a very uncoordinated kid and had no idea until I found yoga, what my body really was. Um, so you worked in retail as well. And I mentioned that for myself. Um, prior to that, I had a bunch of low-level jobs. <laughs> Gas station attendant, a housekeeper, receptionist. Um, and I was even briefly a rock star, which was interesting and fun. Um, but I, I do think retail is another place where we connected because you had that background as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I started working when I was 12. I did housekeeping. And um, from there, I became a manager at McDonald's. And then I was in retail management uh, through undergrad and um, then out of undergrad. I did human resources and marketing for shopping centers and retailers. And it's interesting because um, I took a couple years off in between high school and uh, undergrad. And I got an applied science, Bachelor's of Applied Science. And I thought, well, I really wanted to be a criminal justice person. And how, now I have this applied oh, wow. science degree. Really right? different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, fast forward, you know, 20 some years later, and I'm getting a master's in science of yoga therapy with this love. And now I'm like, oh, the applied science now makes sense. And so it's interesting how things end up working out. Yeah, it, it really is. So when it comes to, so we've, we've said the keyword yoga a couple of times. And so we both hold master's degrees in yoga therapy from, uh, Univ or Maryland University of Integrative Health, um, which I've already said is where we met, but what brought you to yoga and body work to begin with? Well, I had a horseback riding accident when I was probably a junior in high school and it was an injury um, to my spine. And so I found working in the corporate world, I was in a lot of pain. And winters here in Michigan were brutal for me. And uh, my husband gifted me some yoga sessions. And I went and I thought, these people are really kooky. They're odd, but I was feeling better. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'm going to continue with that. Um, and then, you know, my husband and I talked about it and we said, well, if uh, yoga is something that was allowing me to move pain-free again. And I had this joy of movement that maybe I should become a uh, yoga teacher. And so I quickly left the corporate world, probably a little too quick and started my own business, um, immersing myself in yoga and classical Pilates. And I've never looked back. Oh, so you just jumped right in. I did. That's awesome. Um, my reason for coming to yoga was also pain, but it was not physical pain. I hated my job <laughs> and was really frustrated with my level of stress and with, am I going to be stuck here forever? And I had taken some yoga classes. I did yoga when I was a kid with my mom and some PBS lady. Shout out to the PBS yoga lady. I don't remember her name, but many <laughs> in the uh, 80s might. Um but I, I took a yoga class, like, a, uh, was at the high school, and it was, like, a community enrichment class. And when I felt what it was doing for me, just to kind of decompress and relieve some stress, um, I was like, wow, there's really something to this. And from there, progressed to a studio, and then from there was like, oh, this is what I'd rather be doing. I'd rather be sharing this 
with people than um, being a receptionist or leasing people apartments or doing bookkeeping. So it was uh, like, if I could do anything moment, what would it be? And so I started my undergrad and my yoga teacher training at the same time. And then I was like seeing so many parallels as I was writing papers for psychology um, and stress management and mental health and how much the physical body ties into uh, the mental and emotional body and then feeling that and embodying that myself, all of a sudden it just kind of clicked and all of my papers started to include mindfulness and movement and then my electives were anatomy and physiology and all the pre-med students were like, why are you in here? (laughs) And um, it just like grew from there into this fascination and love. So I think that kind of gets us into how we got to MUIH and what we started and learned there. And I think we should probably take a minute from there to kind of talk about what that was like and then how we, um, how we came to the conclusion that a podcast might be interesting for people to listen to <laughs> and what we have to share with people. Well, you know, it, it's interesting because just what we've talked about so far is, you know, people always say, well, you know, what's your expectation? Why are you on this journey? Why are you doing these trainings? Because, you know, grad school wasn't easy. And, um, especially when you're an adult, right? And you, you're juggling a business, a family and grad school. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I always say I'm, I'm first there to heal myself. And as I can grow and understand myself more, then I can share um, those learnings with other people. And so, you know, I've kind of been on this relentless path of self-healing. Uh, I have had several traumas um, in my life. And so I'm continually looking for a way to understand those to grow. And, um, you know, I think that growth, while it's uncomfortable, allows for more empathy and kindness and freedom um, for me to understand everything that's happened. And so that that yoga lifestyle kind of gives me uh, permission to explore the healing and to um, build and define the life that's worthy of me, which I think at the end of kind of our whole grad school experience is how we've kind of started to end up here. Sure. And wanting to share that with everybody. Because, um, yeah, when you tell people that you're uh, in a non-traditional major mm-hmm. and, you know, your family's like, why don't you do accounting or yeah. <laughs> nursing or something that makes a little more sense? Um, it definitely is something that we it was done for us. And then at the end of the journey was kind of like, how do we share this? Yeah, because, you know, when you pick a non-traditional career, it's very hard for people to understand, um, first, why would you do that? And it's certainly not easy for us. Um, I know you and I have talked about several times, you know, the word pioneer paving the path starts mm. to get old. Where our eyes, great buzzword. Yeah, our <laughs> eyes kind of glaze over. Um But, uh, you know, when you're out there uh, in the stormy waters, you know, sometimes you look around and you are alone. And so doing this podcast with you is nice to have that connection of two people in a new field uh, that can support each other and and talk about those 
you know, ups and downs of the journey. Sure. And hopefully those things can help others. I think that's a big thing is like when you take that leap, um, for me, for sure. And I know for you and I know for, for many of those that we got close with within our cohort, um, authenticity is really important. You know, it's really about being your authentic self. How do you stay true to yourself? Any one of us who are smart enough to be able to go off and do a practical <laughs> career. But some people already had that before they came to our um, program. But I think that the people that found our program and that are in this field as uh, pioneers, if you will, uh, it's the last time I'm going to use that word, I promise, <laughs> unless we do an episode on, please don't use the phrase pioneer, um, <laughs> that I, I think that that's, um, that's a big part of it. It's like sharing this bigger thing, like this um, being authentically us, being authentically you, and wanting people, I think, particularly in this climate, in just our lifestyles and the levels of stress. And we'll get into that in later episodes, how that leads to physical and pathology and uh, stress-related health issues. Um, like this is what we found that really works. And how do we share that? So I think um, part of our purpose with this is sharing and helping people kind of get in touch with how they can be more authentic and knowing that it's a continuous process. We, we don't have any magic. At least I don't think we do, unless you could have something. <laughs> I definitely don't have any magic. Maybe just the experience of uh, mistakes and failures and, you know, picking myself up and moving forward. That's, that's my experience. But, you know, I'm interested as we talk about, you know, picking this non-traditional uh, path, you know, what was your family's reaction when you said, hey, I'm going to go to grad school to be a yoga therapist? Um, considering my my family was pretty supportive of me pursuing rock stardom, they were not surprised at all. Um, this kooky, my husband was just like, okay, well, how are we, we going to pay for it? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> how are you going to recoup our, our costs here? Um, which we're working on. But uh, I didn't get as much flack for it from my immediate family as I got from people kind of on the outskirts or the fringes that didn't know me really well. I definitely had people that were like, you're doing what? Like even even yoga students at the studio were like, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. That, how practical is that? Like, that is certainly like, um, was a question. From people, like, how practical is that? How, you're going to go to Maryland. We live in Michigan. You're going to go to Maryland every other weekend for how long? For two years? 30 trips back and forth? Are you crazy? Mm -hmm. um, so it didn't, then the people on the fringe, people who already knew that I was crazy were totally okay with that. <laughs> how about you? Well, it's funny because um, when I first started down my yoga path, and, you know, I explained to my parents, hey, you know, I'm, I'm starting to become a yoga teacher and it's really helping me uh, with my body. They immediately thought I had joined a cult oh. and uh, they didn't talk to me for a while. 
And they just thought, oh my gosh, you know, what is happening? She's leaving her face behind. You know, there's all of these limiting beliefs. And it didn't take till my parents until they were visiting me one summer and I was off teaching and um, they were at a local restaurant. And one of my clients who um, had survived a pretty uh, big battle with cancer was buying everyone in the restaurant uh, breakfast that day as a symbol of gratitude for what he had come through. And my mom and dad were just like, you know, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't need our breakfast purchased. And as he explained his story, they realized that he was one of my clients. And so that's when they started to realize that yoga could have healing benefits to help people. And so then they started asking me questions to understand my journey more. So they needed third-party validation. They did need (laughs) third-party validation. And, you know, into like... Fast forward, and I'm going to grad school, I had people say, well, that's not a real school, right? Or, um, you know, is that a really a real master's? But, you know, we did our clinical at a John Hopkins hospital, Howard County General Hospital, which, you know, was in the John Hopkins realm. And that clinical, you know, was pretty grueling. And, um, you know, that I think carries some weight and some um, validity to the tools that we're presenting to people. Sure. No, I, I absolutely think so. I think that sometimes because something's new, um, then it gets looked at with skepticism. You also bring up a really good point that when you use the term yoga, um, a lot of people instantly are like, is that a religion? Is that a cult? Is that, you know, are you being taken over by something? And, um, I mean, it's not, it's a lifestyle and that's, uh, practice. Um, but I think that that there are so many misconceptions. I think about other, um, modalities for healing that are really common now, like, um, massage or acupuncture that are much more common than they used to be. In the nineties, you know, only fancy rich people got massages Mm -hmm. and acupuncture was some weird mystical thing. And I think now there's a lot of people that are just regular folks, you know, middle class folks that get body work done or that practice some form of alternative medicine, for lack of a better mm-hmm. um, term. I think, what is it we call it now, like a comprehensive or integrated approach. Um, and yoga is just becoming part of that. I think a, another big part besides MUIH and working on John, Johns Hopkins-based facility. There's some big things going on in California. Um, but I think the U.S. military using yoga therapy, not that it's called yoga therapy mm-hmm. necessarily, um, but uh, the U.S. military using mindfulness and integrative restoration practices and things that come based from yoga are making it much more mainstream as well. Yeah, and you know, you bring up a good point where the the word yoga therapy right now in our industry, you know, there's a lot of conflict about that term, and we are finding um, yoga therapists being called all kinds of different um, job titles. It, it's kind of why I like integrative sustainable movement because we are integrating different modalities, whether it be yoga tools, along with we might you know collaborate with an acupuncturist or a nutritionist. Um, I might bring in some of my Pilates background as well. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but it's also sustainable, meaning that it's a lifestyle. It's something you can do every single day and you're not going to wear out from it. You're going to continue to peel away layers um, and grow in those layers. And it's movement, whether it's, you know, movement on any of the kosher levels, physical, mental, spiritual, you know, energetically. Um, so it, it's, it's complex. And I think the complexity of it is where the struggle comes from. For people to grasp it? To grasp it, to understand it, to even know, um, you know, how to integrate us into healthcare settings. Sure. No, well, and I I agree. I think, too, that um, people hear lifestyle and they really think that's drastic. There's this anecdote, and I don't recall where I heard it from, but, you know, the idea that um, a lot of health-related issues are really lifestyle-related issues and people think that, um, you know, making major changes to your diet is super drastic but having like some sort of major surgery isn't <laughs> like the perception or the perception of taking a pharmaceutical versus some exercise. And really it's like, Oh, well, altering your chemistry in your body with the pharmaceutical or altering it with exercise. Well, the exercise just seems so drastic. Mm-hmm. And really I think lifestyle change, I think it's just our perception. I think lifestyle change is um, something that can be much more easily adapted um, with less repercussion, (laughs) but because I I don't know if it's just, you know, society's idea of things, but um, just like uh, where major surgery or some uh, chemically dependent related uh, pharmaceuticals seems like a safer option or a less... drastic option. Yeah, I think there's a lot of fears that come up um, for people. But I I believe small changes lead to something bigger. And so if we can just make small changes, then, um, you know, that kind of leads to the lifestyle. But I think you're right. I think fear comes up because people think that they have to completely stop something of what they're doing and, and adapt to this whole new lifestyle. And that's not really how it goes. You know, every year I kind of peel away at something different. Sure. And um, things that I thought were completely radical 11 years ago no longer seem radical to me. No, absolutely. I could I could see that. Something super simple, drinking soda. You know, as a child of the teenager in the 90s, then, you know, yeah, Coca-Cola I mean, I, was a pretty big part of my life. <laughs> I, growing up on a farm, my parents were pretty healthy. I mean, I didn't have a lot of pop. There wasn't a lot of desserts and uh, everything was grown at home, canned at home, made at home. But when I made it out on my own as an adult and I'm in the corporate world, you know, I found myself going through Arby's for these fries and Wendy's for this sandwich and, you know, over here to this one for that because I deserved it. I worked long and then I realized, oh, something's not feeling right. You know, this wasn't what I was used to. And so I had to really pull back and um, change that. But, you know, at the time, if someone would have said, you know, stop all fast food tomorrow, don't, you know, just stop it. It would have seemed drastic to me. It would have seemed really crazy. Yeah. 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 I was thinking kind of the same thing with Coke. Like I can't tell you the last time. And it's not that there's anything wrong. If you want to have a Coke, that's fine. But um, just the idea that if you would have told me, like you said, 11 years ago, Maybe a little little further back, but if you'd have told me that I wasn't going to have a, a bottle of Coke with me 
for the day. And yeah. I would have been like, really? <laughs> Water is my choice? Yeah. That's, that's my refreshing drink. And what do you know? It solves all your problems. Um, as we continue here, first episode, I want to talk a little bit about, we've kind of covered a little bit of what yoga therapy is. I want to get a little bit more into the role of yoga therapy in healthcare. I think we've danced around. We're going to have some tangents, I think. We're going to mm-hmm. go off on yeah. a little. That's yeah. the fun of a podcast, right? <laughs> you guys get to hear us go off We on get to have our soapbox moments. Little, uh, and then we have to be brought back in. Um, so a little bit about yoga therapy and healthcare. Um, how it fits into... so. We're going to be guilty of using some fancy words sometimes. And um, and then we might swear other times. Yeah, other times we've got filthy language. So hopefully you bear with us. But um, like how does yoga therapy fit into the allopathic treatment model, like the traditional form of medicine? What is it? Like we, we worked at the hospital. We did some clinical work at the uh, Howard County, what does it look like for the future and how does it fit into a traditional model? I think that's still being developed, really. I mean, to me, that's a loaded question. I I know how I would like my perception of it to happen, um, but I think that's still being discovered um, today. There's definitely... um, you see it on all levels, like you had mentioned. We see it in our government. We see it in hospitals. We see it in private settings. Um, and so right now, it's your options are so vast mm-hmm. to pick from. Now. Well, maybe even backing up a little bit more, because um, we have touched on this a little bit, but to kind of give people the thing. So one of the other connotations besides... Um, you're joining a cult when you're doing yoga mm-hmm. is that, Oh, you're going to pretzel your body and put your feet behind your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just to be clear, yoga itself, yes, there's, um, the physical asana, which is the physical practice, but there's breath work and mindfulness and meditation, self-reflection, mm-hmm. What am I forgetting? The yamas and niyamas, right? Yeah, so, Our ethical precepts. Uh, uh, yes. And I believe those come before we even get into physical, breath, and mental. Sure. If you're talking about the eight limbs of yoga, then yamas mm-hmm. and niyamas come first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then asana and pranayama. Mm-hmm. Um, so yoga therapy uses all of these tools. It uses the, our ethical precepts, both uh externally for how we kind of act in the world and internally what we want for ourselves. Um, a physical practice, sure. Breath work, um, meditation, self-reflection, um, and seeking something better, seeking a little bliss, a little enlightenment, a little freedom mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from all that ails us. Yeah, you know, I find when I share my clinical work in the hospital, you know, we sat in on rounds and then we went and um, talked to people at the bedside and gave them some yoga tools. Uh, Those clients that I see that are not um, in a hospital setting, 
it kind of gives them uh, some permission that, oh, this is something I can do. Because if someone can do practice yoga um, in a hospital bed, then, you know, I, sh- I can walk in and, and find there will be something for me, I guess, might be a better way to say that. Right. Right. They can identify with it. If it's something they can do mm-hmm. immediately. So I think it's important to understand that, you know, using yoga in a therapeutic way, it meets you where you are. You don't have to become what you see on social media. Um, you know, that's, it looks pleasing to the eye maybe, but that isn't necessarily yoga. Right. Sure. No. And additionally, one of the things that we should probably touch on too and point out is that, so yoga sees the individual as a whole person um, and actually multidimensional and what we view through the, um, the kosha model, which is five layers, um, you know, your physical body and your energetic body your emotional body and your spiritual body and your uh, bliss body. Did I, mm-hmm. I didn't count while I did that. I <laughs> hope I got them all in there. Somebody's yelling at their phone right now that I missed something. But um, <laughs> so when you view a person, so here's, here's, I guess I'm kind of answering the question that I asked you a little bit, but one of the different ways that yoga therapy um, works with the allopathic model where you might go see an oncologist, if you have cancer, if you, you know, a, a physical therapist for, you know, your knee, um, from a yoga perspective and from a yoga therapist perspective, you are not your knee. You are not your cancer. You are not the part of your body. You know, it's not broken down into segments. Um, it encompasses everything. So, and I think, I think that's, um, it can be worked in anywhere. So yoga therapy is good for physical ailments, mental health-related issues, stress-related issues. Um, you have worked with different uh, people in the autism spectrum, uh, people with cancer. So it can be implemented because those precepts, movement, breath, all of those things tie in to the whole body and the whole person. So they can be used in all aspects of healthcare. Yeah, the, the biopsychosocial, spiritual yeah. model. Yeah. I always get a little tongue-tied on that one. Uh, matches up pretty close to our Panchamaya model of healing, the five layers that you were talking about. And there's a lot of integration there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's why... We can shake hands with people. Right. And how it kind of works with mm-hmm. the medical model. Um, one of the things that we discussed quite a bit in school, too, especially working in a clinical setting, is becoming the translator for the, in a medical setting, it's a patient, typically outside of a medical setting, it's a client. Um, but maybe being a translator for the allopathic community. So working with doctors, especially in a clinical setting Mm -hmm. to, you know, say, Hey, yeah, this person is in here for X, Y, and Z, but they've also got PDQ going on (laughs) or Mm -hmm. whatever it is. 
um, and, and kind of being a translator for both. And then at the same time for the client, um, helping them self-discover, you know, are these other aspects related to what you have going on or um, integrated? Yeah. And, you know, I have a, a client that just came off of a bout of cancer and every time I would see her, things changed a little bit for her. Um, while she was going through treatment, you know, sometimes the energy level was high. Sometimes the energy level was very low. But one thing about coming to the session and working through whatever she needed to work through that day gave her a sense of control and that she was still strong while she went through this extensive treatment plan. And, um, you know, I feel like there's something there and that healing model, you know, sometimes we forget hope, but hope needs to be there and still this sense of, you know, I am in charge of my being. I am my being still. Sure. And then also what you're not. So she's not her illness. Mm-hmm. She's not her, her cancer. That's like a big, um, I think just in general, we, we all get attached to whatever, you know, I am my stress. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, um, you're not you can you can choose otherwise and you can make choices to take you out of that so now that we've given everybody a little um really hodgepodge <laughs> <that's> <laughs> introduction, to us. introduction to <laughs> us and to yoga therapy um how about our name where the lotus grows um and what getting dirty and growing strong is really all about so um, what, what do you think, Kim? What do I think? Well, where does the lotus grow? You know, I, yeah, but lately I've been thinking about that. Like what organ, if we had to pick an organ, where does that lotus grow from in us? And so sometimes I go to the heart because sometimes our heart gets muddled up with, you know, forgiveness issues and love. And then I think, well, maybe it would come from the liver because you get anger and bitterness and things like that. I belly button and I don't know why. Well, the belly button is your capital city of self, right? right? And so if everything's going well in the capital city, <laughs> nobody says anything. And if things aren't going so well there, but everybody questions everything, sure. you know, so I, I've been thinking because... You know, I happen to reside in the city with the flower of the lotus. And so, you know, 21 years ago when I moved to Monroe, I thought I'm going to be here and out in two years. And really, I've been there 21 years and I have been working through some muddy waters in my life. And I, you know, at one point I just started laughing about it. I was sitting next to um, this beautiful fountain that we have in downtown Monroe that has this lotus. And, you know, I was in my itty bitty shitty committee of my mind. And and I thought, well, Kim, how how fitting is this that you're having lunch next to the lotus uh, fountain? You're in the city of the lotus and the lotus grows in the muddy waters of life. Right. It's very muddy in this beautiful flower that's so delicate arises out of that. And um, for many decades, I wanted to live my life as that beautiful flower and forget about all the muddiness. Sure. And um, really, the muddiness needs to be addressed too. the darkness, right? No, absolutely. And you've got to find the balance between the dark and the light. Right. And, uh, and I don't, I should have looked up who the quote is from first, but the no mud, no lotus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't have the mud, you don't have the muck, you don't have the swamp, 
how do you grow to be, you know, this uh, kind of shining example of what it means to come up from all of that and kind of float on the surface. Um, I like that a lot. Additionally, I think there's, um, there's something to be said for um, the exterior beauty or how things appear to be and the really complicated and complex web of roots that are beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that analogy as well. Um, additionally, I mean, it's just a beautiful example. It's used often. Lotus are used often in our <laughs> field. I had no idea that Monroe was the oh, city. They had that? The lotus. Yeah, that's, yeah, pretty that's cool. our city flower. Yeah, so it's that's quite really interesting. Exciting. I didn't realize that tied in so well for you. <laughs> so the idea behind where the lotus grows is how we can um, help our listeners grow too. Like we all, we're all in this place and how do we navigate these muddy waters to get to a place where we're, um, you know, really authentically growing and working together um, to kind of be our best selves, right? Mm-hmm. Um So every week, the goal of this podcast is to discuss some relevant topics related to the five layers of the body that we discussed, um, as well as the practice of integrative medicine itself, and really focus on growing strong in the muddy waters. Right, Kim? Yeah, we want to collaboratively navigate with you the thick, muddy waters of life to empower, accept, and cultivate our most authentic selves. Oh, beautiful. So we hope that you will join us every week. And if you like what you hear, that you give us, I don't even know what it is, stars, thumbs <laughs> you, up. If you'll give us a review, you know, share the podcasts with your friends and family. Um, you know, it's probably not going to be perfect. Uh, we're not striving per- for perfection. We're just striving for empowerment, connection, authenticity. Yep. Just some real ladies talking the real shit, doing the real stuff. So hopefully you guys tune in every week to share with us. Um, And whatever your platform is that you listen to podcasts on, we hope that you give us uh, a good review. Um, iTunes or whatever other platform you're on. Additionally, you can check us out on our website. Uh, wherethelotusgrows.com and find us in all of those social media platforms. Yeah, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We also hang out there as well. Sometimes. Kim more than me. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll be there. Um, So Tanya Drew signing off. It's so great to be with you. Yes, and Kimberly Searle. Thank you for listening to Where the Lotus Grows. Join us in further conversations. We believe that you bring valuable knowledge to this community. You can find us at wherethelotusgrows.com, where the lotus grows on Instagram and Facebook, or Twitter, where the lotus G1, because we were not on top of that one. Remember that though we are professionals in our field, the topics discussed and or advice given is general information and not intended to treat or diagnose. Please seek the guidance of a medical, integrative health, bodywork, or yoga therapy professional for a full evaluation. If you like what you hear, please take the time to rate us on iTunes or your preferred podcast platform.